Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to Inside Strategic Coach with Dan Sullivan. Dan, as usual, you said something that I picked up on that I wanted to have a deeper conversation on, and you said, bureaucracies are systems of control, and entrepreneurial companies are networks of cooperation. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, this is a very cool thought for a couple of reasons. One is I think it's a great thing to know about bureaucracies and to understand and perhaps appreciate what they're for. But then also how to really appreciate an entrepreneurial company is in fact a network of cooperation. And I'm not sure that everyone thinks of their company that way. So I'm excited to dive in. So what's your take on if you were just going to define bureaucracies and entrepreneurial companies, what would you say? Well, I think, first of all, there's several ways of looking at the statement. First of all, you're not saying anything negative about bureaucracy by saying that there are systems of control. That's why a bureaucracy is designed. That's why we have bureaucracies. And there are certain situations, and I can give you, you know, an example that probably all military forces are a bureaucracy. They have levels of management. And the whole point is that being involved in that management structure there's a certain amount of input that they want from people who are lower down in the management levels. But if it's a known reality that you're working with, I'll give you an example. In my childhood, I, it's the 1950s, you know, the big industries around where I lived, I grew up on a farm, but the main industries were big automakers and big steel companies. The night sky sometimes, you know, lit up from a steel town about 40 miles away. And they had about three different companies that were making steel and it just lit up the night sky. Well, steel making is not an experimental activity, you know, that once you're clear about the complete industrial system and what everybody's job is that, you know, you're not getting together at the end of every day and says, you know, tomorrow, how should we make steel? It takes about 50 years once you build a steel factory to actually amortize it, you know, where you've paid for all the, Mm -hmm. get the system. So you can't be fooling around and you need a system of control that once people are trained, it's shift after shift, it's day after day, it's job after job. You might be in the same job for 25 or 30 years, and there's no change. There's no change. Okay. Then that's not true anymore because old ways of doing steel were completely made obsolete and new ways of making steel, and so whole new systems are there. But there have been things for long periods of time which are exactly the same. And there are services that we rely on, electricity, water, you know, garbage, police, fire. And I have a belief that those occupations don't change that much, you know, of what works and what doesn't. And it's been known for decades. So you need a really good system of control in place. And I think government generally isn't dealing, for the most part, with rapid change and, you know, taking advantage of new opportunities, taking advantage of new situations. I think there's a system in place. And the other thing is you want people who are working in systems of control to be people who like working in systems of control. (laughs) They like the system and they like the control. And probably if they like controlling others, they didn't mind being controlled themselves. Mm. Okay. Okay. So that's 
one side. And I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's necessary. The only danger to bureaucracies, if everything is predictable and is programmable using human beings, is wide open for taking the human beings and simply introducing automated technology to do what the human beings. If they're never going to do anything different and they're never going to do anything to improve anything, then probably large amounts of what they can do, they can replace it with technology. You don't need all the human beings. That's the danger of being in a bureaucracy because automated systems of control are for the same purpose. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. Entrepreneurism is totally different. Okay. What I will say is that entrepreneurial systems always start with a single individual. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's a single individual who has a unique skill that gives him or her the confidence that they don't have to be employed. They can go out and they can work directly with customers in the marketplace without any layers between them and the customer. Customer wants something, they can provide it to the customer. It's going to cost this much. Customer writes a check and you work with that. And then you start saying, well, there's activities when I'm not working with a customer, backstage activities, I can get other individuals to do my backstage work, you know. So the more you can keep the entrepreneur front stage in terms of creating new value and actually impressing the customer or the client for that constant new value is being created and it's worth writing bigger checks for a bigger value. That's fine. And then the entrepreneur has to create a team around it. And I started just as a one-on-one -on -one coach. Mm -hmm. Now we're in three countries. We have 115 team members. We have another 17 coaches. But I'm, to this day, kind of doing what I was doing 30 years ago. It's just that I'm not doing all the other stuff. Okay. So what I have created over, and Babs and I have created, and you and Babs, We've created networks of collaboration, networks of cooperation. Mm -hmm. Our whole point is that every node in that network, every connection in that network, there's somebody with a unique ability that's better than what other people can do. And that unique ability of each individual can be multiplied if you put them into a network of cooperation. And the whole point why you want the organization to be a network of cooperation rather than a system of control is because things are changing. Mm -hmm. Really good point. The environment is changing. The marketplace is changing. The economy is changing, as we've discovered over the last 12 months. <laughs> Everything's changing. New technologies are available. New skills are available. So... The last thing you want an entrepreneurial company to be is a system of control, because all it does is make the organization not alert, not curious, not resourceful, mm -hmm. and not responsive to changing conditions outside of the organization. That's a really interesting point, Dan. <laughs> I've met some entrepreneurs who seem to have that control mindset, but they're in an entrepreneurial yeah. business, but they try and run their teams because that's the part that I get to see lots of. They run their teams from a real control basis. So how does that happen? And how can someone undo that mindset and have more of this network of cooperation way of approaching things? First of all, I think the individual who has the emphasis on control more than cooperation, because 
you will make that choice somewhere along the line that you're into control or you're into cooperation. My sense is they won't uh, track and keep great people. They don't. They lose them left, right, and center. And the other thing is I don't think they'll get very big. I don't think they'll really grow. I would say that the vast majority of entrepreneurs who technically qualify as not working for someone else, you know, they're self-employed, are more control-oriented than they are cooperation-oriented. And therefore, they're very small. The vast majority of entrepreneurs in the world are one-person operations. They might have a secretary. They might have part-time. But the vast majority of entrepreneurs can never grow beyond having just more or less created a job for themselves in the marketplace. You know, they're not reporting to a boss, but they're also not being able to focus on bigger, better things. They're not able to focus on them just doing what they love doing. They have to do everything. So I would say that the individuals who would qualify for strategic coach at the entry level, which is the signature program, well, you have to be making $200,000 to do that. And I would say you don't get to that income strictly out of control. You had to do a great deal of cooperating. But I do see entrepreneurs who are very cooperative to start off their career. Mm -hmm. And then they get to a point where they switch gears and they go into control. Okay. That to me means that they've probably come to the end of them becoming a more valuable company in the marketplace. I don't think they're open to new ideas. I think the desire for control cuts off innovation. Well, that's interesting. Talk more about that, Dan. Well, the reason is people who have a passion for control, mm-hmm. after a while, can only keep people who are passionate about control. And those people are not innovative. Right. And a lot of people, I mean, you said earlier, they lose people. And I was like, yes, they do. And there's one person I'm thinking of, actually. You're a good example. Of what? Keeping me or not? Of a company that didn't keep you. <laughs> That's a really good And point. one that attracted you away from the other company. I know an example. You're a good example of that. Thank you. That's actually very true. I hadn't thought of myself in that regard, but you're totally right. And sometimes people just want to do what they're really good at. And you were saying earlier in previous podcasts, when we were talking about who, not how, it's like if someone's going to control something that they don't know how to do all that well, right? But they still need it done that particular way, even though they're not an expert in it, they're not the right who. It's very frustrating for team members. So there's just no even allowing the person to do what they're best at, which is kind of silly. So that need for control is really interesting. You only will keep people who are willing to be told what to do and not do anything different. Yeah. And the other thing is that these individuals are so busy doing what they've been taught to do Mm -hmm. and never seen any other thing in their future, except that they themselves perhaps will get control over other people. Okay. But nobody's paying attention to changes in the outside world. I would say that a lot of where you see this in the entrepreneurial world is in really mature, well-established industries where they're not a new industry. They're not something that seems to be innovative. But my sense is that that's all changing. And the reason is that one of the reasons why new technologies are created is to eliminate the cost of human beings who just do what they're told to do 
and are almost machine-like in their activity. You know, they're expected to be kind of repetitive and not very, you know, how they do their job. So whether you're looking at it that way from the inside of your organization, there are innovators out there saying, you know, we cut your labor costs by 40% with a new kind of automated system. And that's where you see software happening. You know, and there's like literally decision-making systems now, which are automatic decision-making, and they're dealing with known factors. You know, it's kind of like the thermostat in your house. You could have a human being who stays up all night to make sure that the temperature is right, you know, doesn't get too cold during the night and everything else. But at a certain point, you say, well, why don't we just get a little thermostat that does that? Well, that's a simple example of human activity being replaced by automatic technology. Well, take that really big, and there's big factories. There are automated factories now where they said that there's one human being and one dog. The rest of it is machinery. And they said, why the human being? And they said, human being's there to turn the lights out and turn the lights off. And what's the dog there? Is to bite the human being if he tries to do anything else. You know, so... But Toyota, I know, has automated factories. The cars are made automatically. You know, they have some human checking up on things, but not very much. Yeah, it's kind of maintenance of the machines is what's left. So it's interesting. It's almost like what's the best use of humans? Yeah. You know, ingenuity, creativity comes to mind. And another thought here is that you can't control innovation. There's a level of unpredictability which I think some people are just unwilling or unwanting to deal with. And so that's why it pushes them into that control side. Yeah, I think that the most innovative people are the people who need novelty so much in their life that they're very alert to anything that's changing Mm -hmm. around them. Something's different. There's a famous story about a billionaire or a millionaire at the time, 100 millionaire at the time of the U.S., stock market crash 1929, and every day he got his shoes shined, okay? He went to a certain place before he went to the office to get his shoes shined, and he talked to the shoe shine person. He would ask him, how's business, you know? And it varied, and he could tell by how many people were getting their shoes shined, how they were feeling about themselves, and whether that was something that wasn't an expense or it was an expense and everything else. One week, he talked to the shoeshine boy. He says, I'm glad you came along. This was on Friday. He says, nobody. He says, nobody's come by. And the investor went and he sold all his stocks right away because he said, they're depressed. He says, everybody's depressed. They're not getting their shoeshine. Well, that's kind of the mentality of an innovator. They would notice something and draw conclusions from some very small, something's changing, Some there's going to be some kind of problem now that needs a solution, and I'm ahead of the game here, and I'll figure out what people really need. Something's changing. You know, the wind's blowing in a different direction. And I think that you're kind of born with that. I think you can be trained to take it into account, mm-hmm. but I think the person who just naturally knows that they're born with this you know, something's different here. Mm-hmm. You know, they pick up on moods, they pick up on language, they pick up on behavior, you know, there's different behavior going on and everything like that. And they're very fast to say, okay, this is change. What does this mean 
across the system. And I think that's where innovation really starts is in this noticing something's not the same here. Mm-hmm. And being willing to take action and to not know all the answers before you take action, I think is another part of that too. Well, the other thing is that you don't see it as a negative thing that things are changing. It's just that what we did before might not be what we're going to do tomorrow. We might need to adjust our behavior here. And in a system of control, it would be a negative. Yeah. Well, first of all, it wouldn't be allowed. There's no way for anyone to report the change. (laughs) Good point. But in a network of cooperation, it's simply alerting the networks like, hey, something's going to shift here. We need to be alert, curious, responsive, and resourceful for that. That's interesting. So, Dan, if someone wants to take action and make sure that their company is, in fact, a network of cooperation and that they have that mindset, are there some coaching points for what you would tell people to do? Well, first of all, the person who is the entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and the owner, I think the way to start is that they should look at everything they're doing this year and next year be doing 50% new stuff, where this year they're just doing what they did last year. So my sense is the cues inside of a network of cooperation comes from an entrepreneur who's looking for greater cooperation. Mm. Okay. As an entrepreneur, you're sending one of two signals to your team. I want more control or I want more cooperation. And people will respond to you and what you want. You're the lead person. You know, I'm just vastly expanding collaboration and cooperation wherever I can in coach. I mean, the number of outside collaborations, I have a goal for next year that all of our collaborations, if you take Abundance 360, Genius Network, EOS, the Hay House collaboration with Ben Hardy and Tucker Max, Carrie Oberburner with our Audibles, and then all my podcasts, my collaboration with you, all my other podcast partners, in 2022, that'll automatically have 500 situations where people pick up the phone and say, I've heard about Strategic Coach. Tell me how I can sign up for the program. Mm, nice, Dan. I love it. And those are all external collaborations. I'm going to throw Colby in there, too, because they're a big cl- Colby. Colby's huge, yeah. But also, this needs to be the mindset of the leadership of your company, too, right? And as companies grow, a lot of times you do need networks and systems of cooperation, not systems of control. There's a difference. Otherwise, you get into squishing people. It's critical, I think, that entrepreneurial leadership also has this same mindset of increasing cooperation, not control. The other thing at all three levels of our programs, Signature, 10 Times, and Free Zone, Every 90 days, there's a brand new workshop. Very true. And what we're saying is that all of our check writing entrepreneurs who are in Strategic Coach are our creative partner about what's needed next, what's working next. So I think as an organization from a conceptual standpoint, I think we're incredibly alert, curious, responsive, and resourceful to what's next Mm-hmm. From a standpoint of thinking tools and thinking processes and intellectual shortcuts for our entrepreneurs. And we've been that way from day one. Create a new book every quarter, create new podcasts every quarter. Uh-huh. I think we're an unusually expanding and deepening network of cooperation. I agree. And I think that's dramatically accelerated even over the past 12 months, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. 
This is great. I'm leaving with really making sure that the focus is on cooperation, not control, through all levels of interaction with external collaborators and clients, but also internally with team members, with leadership, and with those systems too. So this is a bit mind-blowing, but I love it. I'm glad that we did a deep dive on this today. Thank you. Yeah, and I haven't really thought it through there. And my sense is that some of the big tech giants now, I don't think they're in expanding networks of cooperation. There's so much in terms of control now that they're actually preventing innovations in the marketplace that might threaten their control. It feels negative. I mean, where you might have been excited about Facebook 10 years ago, now you just kind of say, you know, they're getting kind of creepy. And it's not because they're inventing all sorts of new stuff. It's like they're preventing other people from inventing new stuff. You know, so big corporations get that way. General Motors got that way. AT&T got that way. Microsoft got that way. And it's not necessarily because they're so big. Mm-hmm. It's because at a certain point, the internal desire for control was so great that mentality and mindset of control is starting to go off to the marketplace now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And I think that's something that smaller companies need to pay attention to, too. I think that can happen to any size organization. Yeah, I think you can have 10-person bureaucracies. You know, there are organizations, you know, and I can think of some really great hotel chains, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're just super responsive to what their customers and clients, you know, they may have thousands of individuals who are inside the organization, but everybody's attention is how can we increase the amount of cooperation with our customers. Mm -hmm. But if you choose one, the entire organization will gradually take on that mindset. If you choose the other, the organization will take on that mindset and it attracts a different sort of person. Yes. So decide which camp you want to be in. Great. Thank you so much, Dan. Really insightful. Thank you, Shannon. 